This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we're looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put together in one sort of chronological flow, looking at his life. We, we've, we looked at the last few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, but now we're going to shift gears and begin to look more at the actions and activities and words of Jesus uh, given in other ways. And in today, we're, we're going to camp out in Luke chapter 7. In Luke 7, there's a couple of healing stories that I think are interesting for me and maybe for you and for the listeners as well. So let's jump into those. We're in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. And it said, when Jesus had finished saying all this, and in Luke's case, it was the Sermon on the Plain, in Matthew's case, it was the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Let's just stop there for a moment on the, the community of Capernaum. Capernaum was uh, a little bigger, perhaps, than some of the places that had been in the area, like where Jesus grew up in Nazareth or in Bethsaida. It might have been a little larger of a community. It was also, I think, if I remember right, sort of the headquarters for training people who would be the disciples of rabbis who were in training. It was really the the up-and-coming place. It was like where seminary would be in many places. Uh, so Jesus makes that his base of operations. He, he and his disciples make Capernaum their, their new hometown as they're gathered there. So he was beginning to get known in Capernaum. He had been in and out of there quite a bit, and it was a it was a bustling place to a degree on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, if I remember right. So Jesus went back home. He went back to his headquarters. And it says in verse 2, there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. A centurion, by definition, was someone who was in charge of a hundred soldiers, Roman soldiers. So what would this guy's bent have been in life? We, he was a centurion. Jesus was in a very Jewish community. Talk about the relationship between probably your typical Roman centurion and your typical Jewish peasant or person or even rabbi. Yeah, the Jews would have seen the Romans as occupiers, and here we have this Roman soldier, Gentile, um, occupying ultimately their land. And so there would have been relational tension, uh, division that existed uh, between them. This guy was an interesting person. We, we're going to learn a little bit more about him. He seemed to care for his servant. I mean, certainly yeah. the, the servant provided need, a need for him. He was his servant, but he was valued highly. And Matthew talks more about the relationship in, in that version of it, more about the relationship between the centurion and his servant. He really seemed to care yeah. for his servant in some kinds of ways. It goes on to verse three. It said, the centurion heard of Jesus. We don't know what he heard, but I wonder if what he heard we can find over in John chapter four verses 48 through 50, or 46 through 50, actually, when Jesus was over in Cana, and a different 
Roman royal official came to him, a Roman official from Capernaum came to Jesus and said, my child is sick. He's close to death, it says in John 4, 47. And Jesus healed him. Jesus healed him from a distance, from on the, on the way from Cana to Capernaum. He healed him. So this, this guy who was a, a Roman royal official certainly spread the news. In fact, it, it, just to give you the context, in John chapter 4, verse 53, it says this Roman official, he and his whole household believed. Mm-hmm. So they became believers in Jesus, which probably, I, I don't know if that was a huge deal for the Romans because they like kept all the gods in play. And so which God you worship, I don't know that it, they were prohibited from embracing the Jewish faith necessarily. They, they wanted to build synagogues. They wanted to do things so that the people would be satisfied and kept in line and all those kinds of things, I believe. But maybe that's what this guy heard. He, he had heard of Jesus. He had a friend who was a Roman official right there in Capernaum, and he'd heard that he had done this. So it says in back in verse 3, we're in Luke 7 again. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him. Why would Jewish elders be all about helping the occupying forces Roman centurion? Because many of the Jewish elders uh, were somewhat in cahoots with the Roman occupiers. They were, their position of authority in the community was preserved uh, by the Romans. And so... Uh, it makes sense for them to help out uh, this Roman uh, this Roman soldier. Um, one of the things I, I love real quick in, in this piece, though, is we see how Jesus' indiscriminate care uh, for others uh, goes beyond, obviously, uh, the, the people of Israel. You know, so far in our podcast, we, we've, we see this constant progression of Jesus' words to his people, to the Jews. We see Jesus uh, pursuing uh, the Samaritan woman. Uh, Now we see Jesus' interaction uh, with these Roman soldiers, and we see his indiscriminate love. We see that the the gospel itself, Christ himself, is open to going back to what we've previously covered, uh, that that Christ has. He's come for uh, the world. But to your your question, yeah, many of these elders were... uh, derive their power, maintain their authority um, via the, the Roman government. And they were also trying to keep the peace. You know, these Roman el- or these uh, Jewish elders are trying to keep the, the peace as well, because, uh, you know, if, if there was a, one of the things that the Jewish elders uh, had, a, had a problem with were the Jewish zealots, because the Jewish zealots would create tension between uh, Israel and, and Rome and so the elders themselves are trying to maintain the peace uh, so that the Romans don't crack down heavy-handed uh, on, on the Jewish state. And this guy apparently had done some good things. It says in verse 4, when they, that is the elders, came to Jesus, yeah. they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation yeah. and has built our synagogue. So the, the guy had done some good things for the community. He, he built their church. He, you know, have you ever have you been in a church where like there's nameplates everywhere and it's oh, dedicated yeah. in honor and in memory and, you know, you can't move a chair six inches because it was, you know, 
somebody's name and because you know and giving the money to build something is a significant thing right yeah. it's it's a powerful thing and and it it's something that's remembered for a long long time but this guy apparently had built this synagogue and if indeed Capernaum was sort of the headquarters or the the place to be for the training of the rabbi's disciples then the synagogue there must have been something else i i would guess and it must have been a a sight to see in some in some regards the place where those those learners the people who were memorizing what we call the old testament they were that's where they worshiped that's where they were so they really loved this centurion just like the centurion loved them and apparently the centurion loved the nation how can the a, a commander in the occupying roman army love the nation that he's commanding yeah i mean I, his heart for people you know it it, it goes beyond uh, his own borders i mean on you know with with his love uh, for uh the jewish people um you know even uh, taking the initiative to get the the synagogue built which was central to the jewish community um so i'm sure there's an aspect where he's he's seeking to keep the peace but he's also nurturing the community he's pursuing the wholeness of the community uh, that he's overseeing so i mean this guy this guy had some power he had some means he had he was able to come up with the money to, to build the synagogue all of these things and yet he seemed to have a good perspective on his own life because we find it down in verse 6 mm-hmm. jesus went with him with, with them that is the elders to go to the man's house he was not far from the house when the centurion sent some of his friends now to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Yeah. He really had this perspective on his own life that even though he was fairly high up in the, in the Roman military to a degree, he knew that he wasn't worthy to have Jesus come into his home. But others didn't see Jesus that way. Others looked at Jesus and saw Jesus as unworthy. We've seen that a number of times where they've called him demon-possessed, and others who in the religious community have seen him as out of his mind. His family called him crazy. I mean, all kinds of things. And yet here's this outsider who has this perspective that there's something about Jesus, whether he knew him to be the Son of God or the Messiah or any of those things, I don't know but he knew he wasn't worthy on his own merit to have Jesus with him. What's the difference between him and so many of these other people who bump up against Jesus and try to shove him off cliffs? Yeah, I just I see this man's humility, and I, I think it's born of real faith and trust uh, in Christ, as, as Jesus, I, I believe, speaks into uh, here uh, in, in the coming verses. But we just see this utter humility uh, that he has, uh, but I, I think, I believe, before God. And so he sees Jesus really for who he is. He sees the miracles that he's performed. He's probably heard the words that he has spoken, and his life is one that has been captured uh, by Christ, where his humility, really what it does is it, it reveals uh, an understanding that Jesus truly is the one in authority. Not himself, not the centurion, not the not the commander, 
of of a hundred men, but Christ Himself is the one of real authority. Yeah, here. that word authority gets used right here. Yeah, in verse eight, for I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes. That one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus, so he basically said. Jesus, I see that you have greater authority, yeah. and so you don't even need to come into my house. You can just say it, and the healing will be done. He was identifying and recognizing authority. Now, authority is an interesting word to use there because authority, the, the word for authority, is a word that was used for rabbis who had authority. They were given this authority from at least two witnesses, if I remember right this authority to be able to to interpret the law and even speak about the biblical law, the biblical, the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, to be able to speak about it with this authority. And they had to have it in order to do that. The disciples came under them, hopefully to gain that authority from their rabbis. And here this Roman outsider is recognizing that Jesus has this kind of authority right in the hotbed of Capernaum where authority was something that you had to partner yourself with a rabbi for years and years and years in order to be given that authority. I just find that to be an interesting turn of events. In fact, if the Pharisees or some area rabbis or whatever were watching, and they seem to always be watching, they had to gasp when this man said, you can do this because even I have authority to do some things, I know that you have authority beyond these guys. Yeah. Yeah, well, and even, I mean, not that it's, it's explicit in the, in the text, but it's present because the elders themselves who were sent to Jesus recognize the centurion, the, you know, the, the, the centurion leader recognize uh, his authority to send them to Jesus and then I, I can only imagine what's going on in their in their mind um, as their heads were exploding when the the centurion he he turns around and recognizes Christ's authority over himself. I I remember when I was ordained uh, about a hundred years ago, and I knelt down and our bishop laid hands on me, spoke my name. And the first words he said were, take thou authority. Hmm. I, I give you authority to go and proclaim the word of God to the people, the congregations that you will minister to. Authority is, is a big word. So Jesus goes ahead and he, and he heals the man. Let's move to the second story. It's the next, very next verse in Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So there's always this crowd following Jesus, it seems like right now. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Interesting. There's a lot going on in the story. This big funeral procession. You've done lots of funerals yep. in life, and, yep. and the funeral processions, and uh, the you know, you know, we my my father recently died, mm-hmm. and we 
we had a funeral procession through the, the city of Muncie, Indiana, from the church where the funeral was to the, to the cemetery where he's buried. And my, my family were, were here from all over. We have, I have brothers and sisters from Oregon and California and Arizona and Ohio. And some of the comments that I, that I got from some of my family were like, everybody pulled over. What's up with Indiana? Like, people stopped on the, on the side and just waited for the funeral procession to come through. I don't know if that's an Indiana thing or not, but there is a sense of respect that I think is given to in a funeral procession that is given to the time of a funeral. Maybe there were professional mourners in the Jewish community that were playing flutes and, and coming along and, and wailing, weeping, and all kinds of things are, are happening there. And he says this phrase, don't cry. That seems to be an odd thing for someone to say to the mother who's getting ready to bury her son. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I love Luke's lead into that because he says when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And so we see Jesus's heart of compassion uh, for, for this mom and, and his want to, to heal her heart. And so he, he does, he instructs her to, to not cry, knowing what he's about to do. He knows, but she doesn't. That's so right. she's receiving that word. It, seemed, it had to seem bizarre. Harsh at the time, like, yeah. Like, yeah. And stop well, crying. And, stop yeah. crying. I, yeah. I, he probably didn't say it like that because yeah. his heart went out to her. But, but yeah, it makes you think. She not knowing what was coming, it does make you think. I mean, uh, oftentimes when we pass by, uh, you know, when we go to pay our respects to a family who is grieving, it, there's there are oftentimes as a pastor, you hear people wanting to say something. You know, and so you hear the things that that are said and and shared, and sometimes not knowingly, but can be callous. I remember as a sixteen year old, uh, somebody coming through the after my dad had passed away, somebody coming through through the line to pay respects to our family and telling me you're the and and I mean somebody who loved me and cared about me, but said, uh, you know, you're you're the oldest son. You need to you need to maintain your composure. And be a source of strength for your family. Don't cry. Don't cry. Yeah. And so that's obviously not, as we know, the, the heart behind uh, Jesus's words. But in the immediate context, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that this mom was like, "What have you lost your mom? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, because when Jesus' buddy Lazarus died, right. it's that shortest verse in the Bible that everybody knows Jesus wept. wept. Right. So for him to say that, it, it, he knows what's coming, that it adds context to it. But it's an interesting thing. You know, the town of Nain was sort of next door to the town of Shunem. They weren't very far away. And the, this town of Shunem, if you back up 800 years into the Old Testament, was where a prophet named Elisha raised to life the only son of a woman. And he'd had a, a long-term relationship. Elisha had had a long-standing relationship with that family even before the the boy was born, and Elisha ministered to the family, and the boy was raised back to life. So I wonder if, even though it was 800 years later, if the story of that was still swirling around that region where Nain was, not very far from Shunem, and they, they had this collective memory, or at least hearing the story of 
This is where the prophet Elisha raised somebody to life. Of course, they went 800 years, maybe without another son being raised to life and weren't expecting it. But Jesus maybe intentionally, do you think, like stepped into this same region where Elisha had done this and said, here we go. Here's another opportunity. Don't know for sure what's going on, but it does say in verse 14, he went up and touched the beer they were carrying the boy on, the man on, and the bearers stood still. Have you ever ever been a pallbearer? I have. Have you really? I haven't. I've done a hundred funerals and watched them, but yeah, it's kind of be a weird thing if somebody comes up and starts, I mean, our, our caskets, our coffins will be closed when we're carrying them in our culture. You know, you're, you're from that, you're from way down deep in New Orleans. They, they bury them above the ground down there, don't they? I remember that having been down there a time or two. Yeah, the, uh, the, many of the tombs are above ground, though there is a crypt below, below the surface. And so we've got several family crypts and the, uh, the, the piece above the surface can hold, ours can hold two caskets. And then there are multiple people buried actually below, uh, below that. Is that just because the, 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 it's like a sea level and there's going to be hurricanes and like, what's, what's yeah, the deal? No, with I, I think it's just part of, part of our culture. And, and cause even, you know, I think about our, 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 our tombs and where our family crypts are, they're on what's called the Metairie Ridge, which is actually above uh, sea level a little bit, not much, but it is above, above sea level. And so there's a, again, there's the, the two on top and then you go below that, there are people buried in there. So when you come to uh, one of our family tombs, there's like six people that are kind of, you know, stacked on top ultimately of, of one another. Uh, but sometimes people not knowing, they're like, how can they fit them all in that small space? Well, there's a, there's space below uh, the ground there too. I love how even in the U S we have different burial customs. Yeah. So you, you can imagine now this is a whole different part of the world 2000 years ago. And so they weren't carrying a closed casket. They were, they were carrying something where the, the body was on top of it. And Jesus walks straight up and and speaks to the dead person and says, young man, I say to you, get up. In the moment as he's speaking that, as before the guy got up, I mean, it might've just been a millisecond in that moment. What are the pallbearers thinking? Like, what is, what's the crowd thinking? What's mama thinking? Like, what is this guy doing? Or, or maybe they had heard about him or knew him and thought, this is the moment he's going to do it. I don't know, but it, I just have to wonder. There had to be a mixture of emotions, maybe from joy and relief and gladness to anger. Like, how dare you come and touch and speak to this dead body? It, there had to be a lot going on. But in verse 15, the dead man sat up. I like the way Luke puts it. He didn't say the man sat up. He, he, he lets us know the guy was dead. Remember, Luke was by profession what? A doctor. He was a doctor. And he's saying the guy was dead. And he sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to mom. 
<laughs> That's kind of an interesting thing. Like, like, here you go. I told you not to cry. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. You know, elsewhere, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's in John 11. We'll come to that later. But I've been thinking a lot about this with, uh, again, the recent death of my father after 95 years of life. And my, my dad, who was a, uh, a strong man, a hardworking man, loved life man, but a faithful man. We, we went to church every, every single week of my life, and he was a very faithful man. And I've rested on the assurance that in this life, there will be challenges and troubles, and even death. Like this person that Jesus raised to life, he died again. Mm-hmm. There, there would have come a time in the future when he died. His mom died, and 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 there's there's death. But Jesus gives us more than that. He said, "I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, whoever lives by believing in me will never die." That's mm-hmm. in John eleven twenty five and twenty six, and that's just a word of comfort that I want to leave on today that. As we're confronted with these stories of a person who was near death and Jesus raised, or a person who was beyond death and Jesus raised, that even when there's not physical resurrection, there is the hope of eternal resurrection for those, Scripture says, who live by believing in him. So I'm going to close this one out with with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus, you you came to bring life. Indeed, you said you are the resurrection and you are the life. And I thank you that you can perform miracles and healings even now and today, and we trust you for those. We thank you that even though we end up in death, that by believing in you, we can have eternal life. So I pray today if there's anyone listening to this, who is ready to make that decision to put faith in you, to believe in you, that this will be the moment that they would say, all right, Jesus, I'm in. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my eternity. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. If any of you have prayed a prayer like that today, find somebody who is a believer and let them know. They won't have all the answers, I promise you but they will be there to uh, love you and encourage you and pray with you and walk the journey with you. Folks, if you want to jump deeper into this Life of Jesus study that we're about, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find our church app and click on the Life of Jesus link to find all kinds of more things about what we're doing in this year-long study, including daily gospel readings, devotions, poems, weekly sermons, group studies, and other episodes of this podcast. Have a wonderful week. God bless. We'll see you again next time.